Hey, Jackson, what's up? Your digs are so sweet. Yeah, yo, 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 B. Thanks very much. Oh my and God, it's great. I was so afraid you weren't going to find a good apartment here. I know, this place is awesome. And, uh, you know, I curated all this. Uh, and I haven't even shown you the best part about this. Check this baby out. Oh, fuck, we're getting lit tonight. We're Whole getting lit. Yeah, party in the new place. Yeah. Hit me up, what you got? What you got? Best liquor cabinet, you know, I keep it up locked safe as you can see. Got this big like uh, Dura steel lock here on here. But I gotta tell you some of the best stuff in here. Yeah. I got the old Fitzgerald, I got the Evan Williams, I got the Gordons, I got the Teacher's Tequila, I've got my Fireball, I got my Smirnoff Ice all bottled individually. I've, wait, you're locking that up? You gotta. This is some top. This is some quality shit here. I got the Gilberts. I got Dugans. I got uh, a lot of Everclear. This is like most of this is Everclear. Honestly, it's like half of it is Everclear. And you gotta lock that up tight. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I might pass tonight. Um... Hey, hey, you're lost, man. I'm gonna get crunk on some. Everclear Gordon's mix here. We're starting this kind of early, earlier than last time, uh, but just uh, enjoying our Saturday, kicking things off. The wives are harvesting. Yeah, they're making elderberry syrup. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the main lifestyle, you know? You make your elderberry syrup, you harvest hops, you collect firewood. Exactly. And then lots of stuff going on in my life, uh, planning to elope in two weeks. Yeah. And then on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, Tuesday, my sister turns 20. My youngest sister is turning 20. Congratulations. <laughs> Anything fun planned for 20th? I think we're just going to go sit around a fire and call it a night. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> but, uh, which is actually probably good for me because again, planning an elopement is, even though it's an elopement, like everyone's like, Oh, is, aren't elopements supposed to be secret? No one's supposed to know. In 2021, an elopement literally just means a small wedding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. It's, it's like, yeah, no, it's it's fine. No one's going to stop us. No one's going to stop. No one is stopping us. It's just, weddings are expensive, and I only wanted to invite two people, so. 
Well, congratulations. It's going to be exciting. And uh, Thank you. you'll, be, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be married. Oh, finally. Finally be married. Yeah, everyone's just like, yeah, we knew this was coming 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Even when Allegra and I were just besties. Just lifelong friends, now married. Exactly. <laughs> friends to lovers, as they say. Friends to lovers. <laughs> But yeah, it's actually a lot colder here today than it was last time we recorded. It was very hot, and now the September weather is kind of kicking in a little bit. I thought this was still fake fall. It's still fake fall. Okay. But we'll get back into the summer soon. We, yeah, we'll probably get one more hot week before things get chilly, for real. And then who knows, maybe we'll have snow by October. Which is my least favorite thing. It has snowed on Halloween before. Oh yeah, I've, I've experienced that. I hate it. Yeah. I remember we were going to go out trick-or-treating and it was a snowstorm instead. Miserable. Ugh. But to be fair, I still really love Maine. I, I love Maine enough that I stay even as an adult because I, I've lived in the South. Yeah. And I still... I, nope. Yeah, can't hand, handle that heat. Not, no, not for me. and like just visiting Florida, it's like walking through molasses. So I'm like, at Ugh. least here I get four seasons, sometimes six, <laughs> which is <laughs> spring. Oh, wait, no. First, it, so mud season, mm-hmm. spring, mm-hmm. summer, fool's fall, fall. Winter, <laughs> and you'll you'll learn all about that. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, mostly lived in um, some cities at this point, so yeah, you don't really get the full feel of any kind of seasonal um, kind of changes in a city. Not fully. No, I've never really lived in a city. Like South Portland is the closest I've lived to a city, and it is. I, I think you can barely call it a suburb. Hmm. <laughs> To be completely honest, like you can barely call Portland a city. It's like a metropolitan area. Yeah, it really is. It's pretty, it, it's kind of spread out. Yeah. Well, most people, there are people that live in Portland, but a lot of people are just so spread out around it. And mm-hmm. sometimes a lot of people I've met seem to drive, are okay with driving like 45 minutes outside of Portland to work every day. Yeah, and actually, that's a great segue, because my story today is from about 45 minutes outside of Portland. Oh, where are we at? We are in Lymington, which surprisingly, uh, last week I talked about, or yeah, last week at this point, I talked about mm, the city in which I was born, mm-hmm. and today I'm going to tell you about the city that I've lived in for the, or the town, it's not a city, pardon me, yeah. <laughs> that I lived in growing up. Awesome. So like I said, Lymington is my hometown. It's approximately nine miles long and averages about five miles wide, depending on where you are. It sits in the northeastern part of York County and has a population of 3,713 as of the 2010 census. And let's say that it's 3,711 because my sister and I just moved out of Lymington. <laughs> You're incorporating that. <laughs> uh, I have really always considered it to be more of a blip on the map than a lot of the other s- towns that are in the Bonnie Eagle district. Like Buxton and Standish, people really know when you say, I'm going to Buxton, I'm mm-hmm. going to Standish. They know where you're going when you say Lymington. I always said it was more like you drive through 
And you say, oh, it's Lemmington. And then you're like, what's a Lemmington? <laughs> Is it a lemming? And then you're already, <laughs> by the time you ask that question, you're already outside of exact, the town. You are completely already outside of the town. Surprisingly, though, there have actually been recent stories that have reinforced the idea that no town is too small to not have a dose of homegrown horror. Oh, yes. (laughs) So this takes place in 2016. On June 10th, Lloyd Flint called the police to report his 55-year-old brother missing. He and his niece were concerned since they had not seen him since the day before. And when they went to his house, they found that both his phone and his cigarettes had been left behind. Hmm. Okay, so suspicious on on their account. Yes. So Douglas Flint was born in 1961 in Portland. He graduated from Bonnie Eagle High School, and throughout his life he worked as a carpenter, and his family noted that he loved tinkering projects and snowmobiling. He's your average Mena. Your average Mena. I got my snowmobile. I got three snowmobiles over here, tinkering in between them. Exactly. All being stripped to supply one snowmobile. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. He and his wife, Dawn, had two children and four grandchildren, and he was. they said that he really loved his family. It was one of the most important things to him. In 2014, Doug and Dawn purchased a foreclosed four-acre property on Ossipee Trail in Lemington, and they built a small home. You're not from Maine, but Ossipee Trail is one of the main roads that goes... Okay. True. I was going to ask, like, trail would indicate to me, it's like, okay, they're on a dirt road or something. But no, no that's the main road. <laughs> main road through Flemington. Exactly. And unfortunately, Dawn actually passed away later that year mm. after they built their home. The property shared a dirt driveway with the neighboring property, which was three acres, that belonged to 53-year-old Bruce Acker. I think it's Acker. That's what I'm going to say. What's it look like, Bruce? A-K-E-R. Yeah, Acker. Acker. You're Acker now. Yes. Bruce, you are now Acker. He is not adding us at all. (laughs) The land used to be one seven-acre parcel that was owned by Bruce, but he sold it, four of them, after he divorced his wife. Bruce didn't get along with his new neighbors. They had an ongoing property dispute. It had bubbled over in recent months. Hmm. Bruce had entered the Flint's home without permission a couple times and was also found once bathing in their swimming pool. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, I understand where he's coming from. If you see somebody bathing in your swimming pool, if it's your neighbor... Okay, so this is... Is the swimming pool the first thing that happened? Is it the third instance of something happening? That I am not totally sure. It seemed like he entered Doug's home a couple times. Uh-huh. And the swimming pool was the most recent offense. Okay, yeah. He deserves death, I think. (laughs) So on June 9th, Bruce had called the police and alleged that Doug had stolen several items from his house, including tools and a six-pack of Smirnoff ice. Whoa, man. All right. (laughs) So Bruce is the one that was found in the swimming pool. Yeah. And so now he is alleging that Doug has entered his home has stolen these items. Okay. Which, if we look at the history, Bruce is usually the one that's doing that. Yeah, so Bruce, you're being a little little nuts over here. He actually spoke with Sergeant Stephen Thistlewood, and he was familiar with Thistlewood because Bruce had worked with for the volunteer fire department. Okay. And when 
Thistlewood asks, do you want some, me to send somebody out? I can come out. We can see what's going on. Bruce declined to have anyone attend the scene. Okay. Which would be reasonable, considering the items that are gone in question. Maybe I misplaced these. Who knows? It's totally possible that, yeah, he misplaced them. Or if anything, he could probably be like, pay me back for mm-hmm. the beer you took from me. Does seem reasonable. But just kind of wanting to loop the police in and be like, hey, this is a thing that happened. Putting on our record. Thistlewood did reply to the missing persons report for Doug Flint. The same person Bruce had claimed stole the items from him. Because remember how I said Lloyd Flint called and said his brother was missing and he left all of his items. So his daughter Amanda had been concerned because her father had recently fallen into a depression because he was recently unemployed and he'd been they'd been checking in with him regularly, and that's why they disappear. They reported. Pause. This is why they reported his disappearance so shortly after discovering him missing. Because mm, okay. it's only been a day. Yeah, yeah. And usually, you hear in uh, when you talk about missing persons, for some reason, they're depending on the state that you're in. There's always this thing where it's like you have to wait 48 hours. Oh, before like you go ahead. Before you can do a missing persons report because unfortunately adults can go missing if they want to that's true yeah and that's the unfortunate part if someone does want to disappear they are allowed to do that so the police went into the house and they found no signs of foul play but amanda did inform them of the recent issues that doug had with bruce including the instance of finding bruce in the swimming pool Proceeding with this information, Thistlewood and the other attending officer searched the area because they were concerned that Doug may have been suicidal. Okay. They did enter Bruce's property and attempted to make contact with him, but they were unable to find him initially. A red truck was parked in the driveway. The trailer that Bruce lived in was padlocked with a tarp over the door, which this detail is very interesting to me because I don't... It it seems like... Why would you padlock your house from the outside? <laughs> well, it's at his home, right? So he's not going in there. He just wants to keep... No, he lives out. in the trailer. Oh, he lives in the trailer. Never mind. Yeah, I didn't... <laughs> yes, it is hit, It is the trailer that he lives in. Okay, gotcha. I thought that he had, like, lived in another... No. ...on the property. <laughs> no, he lives in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Privileged viewpoint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's for his vacation, right? <laughs> no, so... His home is padlocked from the outside with mm-hmm. a tarp over the door. Yeah, so bit suspicious. It's very. It's Bruce is an odd guy. That might be Even... his only lock available to him, though. You know, he might just be off somewhere else. So yeah, Thistlewood noted that he actually heard a noise coming from Bruce's trailer. He thought that it may have been a small animal, so he peeked inside and he couldn't really see anything. So he just kind of left it. Maybe it's a dog. Maybe it's. Mm-hmm. It'll be taken care of when Bruce comes back. Yeah. They made contact with at least one other neighbor who didn't have any news of Doug's whereabouts. So they went back to Doug's house. They taped off the scene. And then it was left unattended until the next morning. Mm-hmm. But Doug still had not returned. Thistlewood and two other officers returned early that morning. It was still dark mm-hmm. at this point in time. They returned to Bruce's property to try and contact him once more. And so I have this lovely little description from the court documents because I think that this this best describes 
this entire thing. It's very weird. At this point, Thistlewood and Nato were in front of the camper, which had a large window with a hinged weather cover in the down position. They lifted the cover and shined the flashlight through the window into the camper. Thistlewood saw a person on the floor in a sleeping bag beginning to get up. Carr was on the other side of the camper to the right. Through the window, he could see the beam of the flashlight, the figure of a man beginning to stand up from behind a half wall. Thistlewood recognized the man as Ackers. He called out, Bruce, identified himself, and told Ackers that he needed to talk with him, and it asked if Ackers would come outside. Ackers agreed to come outside. He said he needed to get dressed and get some things, and said he was also unarmed. Ackers got up and dressed. Thistlewood kept the flashlight on him to assist. There were no lights in the camper. Ackers looked for his keys to unlock the padlock on the door. He grabbed his phone and phone charger. Ackers was unable to find the keys and said he would have to force the door. He tried prying the door with a hammer from the inside, but was unsuccessful. He asked Thistlewood to help and gave him the hammer. Thistlewood was able to pry off the padlock from the outside. The officers held up the tarp from the front door and Ackers came outside. The area around the camper was cluttered. It was dark. There were no lights. Okay, so Guy locked himself inside his camper. Yeah. And, okay, and we have no uh, new information about Doug at all. Not yet. Yeah, this is really weird. This is when Thistlewood started to record their conversation with Bruce. When questioned, the police found that Bruce had what looked like defensive wounds to his hands, arms, shins, back, and abdomen. Because remember, he's getting dressed in front of them. Right, yeah. Thistlewood asked if Doug was still alive, and Bruce shook his head no. Way to out yourself, bud. He he indicated that he could lead them to where Doug was. Uh, uh huh. Yeah, can you, bud? (laughs) Where'd you bury him? (laughs) All of this information is being given up freely. Yeah. And I want you to put a pin in that. Mm -hmm. Put a very sharp pin in that. (laughs) Yeah, no, um, that's going to stand out to me. (laughs) The whole interaction lasted two minutes. And two minutes in, he's already said, uh, nope, Doug's Doug not alive, not alive. <laughs> and I can tell you where he is. The officers searched Bruce and unprompted, he said, the guy just wouldn't leave me alone, and that this was not the best day of his life. Oh my god. Okay, Bruce. He was read his rights, and he was brought, he was brought to the substation. I do want to note, they never handcuffed him, so technically, he's not arrested. Yeah, he's being brought in for questioning. Correct. That's it. And Sergeant Nato, who was there with Thistlewood, told him that, we'll get you through this man, I promise, okay? Sometimes people put situations in our court and we have no choice but to how we handle them. I get it. I totally get it. This is quoted from the court document. Mm -hmm. Bruce also noted that he had thought about calling the police sooner, but, quote, wanted a few more hours of freedom and enjoy it. I can't say I enjoyed it all that much, but, unquote. On another note, Bruce did try to have all of this information suppressed, as his legal team argued that it was unlawful, but the court deemed it reasonable and that the suppression was unjustified, as all of his statements were voluntary, Hmm. as I mentioned before. So the police brought cadaver dogs to the scene. They located Doug's remains under a pile of rotting deer carcasses. Oh my god. He was under. Under all of them, yeah. Yes. So he was deliberately hidden. He had died from injuries to his head and neck. It was a mixture of both blunt force trauma 
and Sharp's injuries. Hmm. According to the Bangor Daily News, the men had worked together that day on a scrap metal job before Bruce had placed the phone call reporting Doug for theft. While details about the rest of their encounter are unknown, we know that Bruce attacked Doug 13 to 15 times with a machete, almost decapitating him. The murder weapon was later found in the camper. Okay, so very obviously guilty. There is no mystery here. Bruce already outed himself. He has the murder weapon. Mm-hmm. The body is on the property. Exactly. It's. I'm surprised. Okay. So he actually did work with um, Doug that day. Yeah. On the scrap job. Yeah. I'm surprised they work with each other at all. I would like to point out that that's what the Bangor Daily News said, but the, <laughs> the court documents said that Bruce had brought Doug to the store. Oh, okay. So I'm unsure which... I believe. But in either instance, they're familial in some way, despite having this really weird relationship or just like not really enjoying each other's company, it sounds like. At all. Yeah. At all. Like Doug has every right to not enjoy Bruce here, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. and I thought it was going to be the other way around, obviously. He did. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, yeah, no, kill this guy. (laughs) He's in Uh, me. He's bathing in my pool. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's not what happened. No. At Bruce's arraignment, the judge ordered him to be held without bail. At the time, Paul Aronson, who was the defense attorney, said, quote, He's got relatively no criminal record, and he was in the military. If you met him, he's very personable. So this is a highly unusual circumstance he has found himself in, unquote. I want to point out that according to the Daily Mail, Bruce did have misdemeanors for theft, disorderly conduct, and assault prior to Doug's murder. <laughs> So, and also this behavior is also, you don't just murder someone. This is very clearly an escalation. Yes, absolutely. This has been just their contentious relationship bubbling to this point. And I'm also not surprised at the re- some of this information that I'm about to tell you next. In 2018, Bruce was found not competent to stand trial and was admitted to Riverview Psychiatric Center in Augusta. Mm. According to Brendan Akers... Ackers, Brendan Ackers, Bruce's brother, their family had a history of mental illness, and also the two of them suffered abuse as children. Mm-hmm. He stated, quote, I want to tell you how abused he was because I want you to understand he didn't come into this world a bad person. He came into this world a potentially good person, and bad things happened to him, unquote. I want your thoughts on that. I, um, as I'm like learning more about Bruce... In just understanding him, like, bathing in a pool in his neighbor's house and also coming over uninvited a couple times. And this just jumping to the conclusion that Doug is stealing his Smirnoff or whatever. I mean, maybe he did. I'm not surprised hearing about this trauma that he had experienced as a child. And there's there's clearly something that is mentally not right with him. And he is having issues being social with people it seems, and just in general, yeah, there's something more there. There's boundary issues that aren't really discussed here, it seems. But, like, I think that, yeah, uh, every, a lot of people aren't, of course, people aren't born evil, but, like, they can have these traumatic experiences that influence them for the rest of their life, and people just hang on to them, which is why therapy is important. Therapy is the most important, because there's also an argument to be made that People get abused, people have mental illness, and they don't decapitate their neighbor. This is obviously a point where 
things escalate. But I feel for Bruce in in some respect, I don't think he's mentally sound. To the point where you are saying, I'm going to decapitate you now. Like, I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. You're not mentally sound. And yeah, people go to jail for a long time for that. Um, and I think I don't think Bruce necessarily should have gone to the psychiatric ward. But if he was really just not competent enough to stand trial... Um, what did they mean by that? What was his behavior leading up to that, to the trial? They don't have a lot of details about that specifically. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to get into it a little bit here, but uh, it does say that he has a history of paranoia and delusions. Okay. And this is where things get more muddled. While he was at Riverview, they said that he had the full range of skills associated with trial competence. Oh, okay. So he does go to trial after being in the psychiatric center. Wow, okay. But also while he he's on trial, a psychiatrist testifies that he experiences the paranoia and delusions. It's very muddied. And I have some reservations about believing, believing it one way or the other. And a lot of the news reports that I read claim that he was playing up his mental illness. I do believe he is mentally ill. Mm-hmm. It's just, to what extent is he competent or is he not? Is he of sound mind or is he not? Did he know what he was doing or did he not? Because Riverview says he's competent, but this other psychiatrist that testified says he's not. He said he has the paranoia and delusions. That is true. That doesn't necessarily mean he's not competent enough to... That is completely, that is yeah, completely true. That does change my opinion, of course, about this whole situation, though. Having the hospital hear about it, he, they are witnessing Bruce 24-7. Yes. Daily interactions. I, I mean, obviously, Bruce still has mental issues. Um, Absolutely. That's why I, I want to make it extremely clear yeah. that I believe he has mental illness and he needs help. Yes, absolutely. So we agree. Yeah. <laughs> we, we agree. <laughs> the paranoia and delusions could explain his reaction, as you said, to the ongoing dispute, including believing that Doug stole stuff mm-hmm. and that Doug was the one that was doing this to him. Mm-hmm. And also, again, yeah, just a lot of boundaries things, I think, that aren't explored here. Just like, just... Coming to your neighbor all the time, get in their face. So weird that they still work with each other, interact on such a close basis as well. And I also just realized something. It's also, I hadn't considered how the boundary issue may also play into the fact that Bruce used to own Doug's land. Oh, wow. Because the combined seven acres used to belong to Bruce. Okay, did you say that earlier? I did, but it may have been, I may have said it pretty quickly. But yes. Oh my God. Okay. This is so weird. These are just a, two weird individuals having to interact with each other. I feel like. Yeah, because Doug is not. We know Doug also is suffering for some, from some sort of mental illness. He is depressed. He, mm-hmm. they, his family thought he was suicidal, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why he he lost his wife two years before. He mm-hmm. lost his job. Mm-hmm. He is not faring as well as he could be. No, absolutely. And I and disclaimer, I am not trying to blame the victim in any way, shape, or form <laughs> by bringing that up. No, 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 absolutely not. Like, let's be clear. 
If you murder someone, you're in the wrong. <laughs> yes. It doesn't matter what happened leading up to that. Correct. <laughs> so as I said before, some of the news reports claim that Bruce may have been playing up his mental illness as a way to avoid a harsher sentence. Which seems kind of... Yeah, I, I, that aligns with the hospital testimony, obviously. Again, 24-7 yes. like review of Bruce and his capacities. like. And he yeah. also gets a jury trial. Oh, okay. And the fifth, yeah, we have this thing with jury trials because it's a jury of your peers. They are human and they have the capacity to take in the evidence, but also use their humanity because let's be completely honest, we're all biased in some way, shape or form. And we see that in a lot of different jury trials where our biases make us think that the jury did the wrong thing. Yeah, absolutely. But they might be privy to other information. Or they're also facing it every single day and having to listen in great detail everything that's presented. All we get is a news clip. Bruce pled not guilty. Of course. (laughs) Which is, at least if you plead guilty, sometimes they're able to... It goes smoother. Yeah. (laughs) He's not doing himself any favors, is all I'm saying. And we know that he also tried to get some of the information suppressed, which was its own court proceeding. Mm-hmm. So he's he's been in court since. Yeah. And this verdict actually came out last year. Wow. They found the jury found him guilty and he was subsequently sentenced to 38 years by the York Superior Court. It's 14 years above the minimum mm. sentence for murder in Maine. Mm. And I did want to bring this quote from the York County Superior Court Justice Wayne Douglas. Quote, The grief of the family member who has died in this manner has been magnified by the randomness and the senselessness of the act. The family is haunted by the vicious attack that they imagine their family member suffering. The family were able to give victim impact statements, and Doug's brother Walter stated that they were looking forward to, quote, not having to waste any more time, unquote, Bruce Ackers. This is not the first story recently to come out of Lymington. Uh, bon- another, bon- uh, another Bonnie Eagle graduate recently murdered his mother and her boyfriend this year. This year? This year. So that's ongoing. That is currently ongoing, so I will not be covering it anytime soon. And also, I feel like I would also rather recuse myself because my sister knew him. Yeah, but that's not to like cover every sort of like cover all that kind kind of stuff especially so close exactly i think that this is if there's no ghost don't touch it (laughs) no ghost don't touch it i mean there's no ghost in this situation no 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 ghost in this situation it's just a very it's a it's wrapped up at this point mm -hmm. there's really no speculation we know what happened and it's it's extremely sad because we have in these situations you have the victim of the murder but then in in a way, the murderer is also a victim mm-hmm. of the fact that we do not take mental illness seriously. If his family has a history of mental illness, and if he had been not abused as a child, then perhaps he would have gotten the support that he needed for his ongoing tr- issues. I agree, and I don't think he would have escalated to this point of attacking somebody with a machete. You know, that's it. It's just faced with the abuse and trauma that he had. You know, he's not thinking rationally, obviously. In a moment of anger, when he is perceptively believing that Doug is 
probably coming at him, he reacts again unpredictably. And he did tell the police that Doug would not leave him alone. No. I'm not 100% how true that is. No. Because we, we really do not know what happened between them working together and Doug's murder. We just hear the account of Doug and then the small report from Bruce of like, he stole my Smirnoff. Which again, not a reason to kill anybody, but also that's probably not the reason that he Absolutely not. Doug. That it wouldn't have been that petty. That's what, and that's, I hate it, but this has kind of become a, a meme. Has it? Yeah, because, you know, when we talk about, when a lot of people talk about it, they're like, oh, this guy decapitated his neighbor over a six-pack. Right, yeah. <laughs> when you kind of use a log line like that, it sounds fucking crazy. Yeah, it does sound It is nuts. crazy, but it kind of undermines the gravity of the rest of it. Of course, yeah. And I am completely guilty of that because I found out so much more about this. Your initial thought was, guy kills somebody over a six-pack. Six That's what you <laughs> and saw. I, I did know that he buried him under deer corpses. Okay, so you had that, those two pieces of information. Right, and that's why it sounds so sensational. Yeah. The story of just two contentious neighbors and it getting to its ultimate end here. Yeah. A fatal end, unfortunately. Fatal end. So, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much does that make you want to leave me? I'm actually more thankful for this story than anything else. I'm still out of one. Okay. Of, I'm, I'm staying here. Still out of one. I think this story really just gives me uh, red flags to be aware of when having a neighbor. Um, do they just keep showing up and you politely ask them to fuck off? Um, are they bathing you in your swimming pool? Do they think you would steal their Smirnoff ice? Very important questions. Very important red flags. If I knows any of these, I will move my uh, move myself. Just move your camp somewhere else. Move, move your camper camp. somewhere else. Move my camper somewhere else. <laughs> and Maine is very interesting. Here's my own Mainism for today. Maine is interesting because there are a lot of people who believe when you live somewhere like Lemington, like Buxton, mm -hmm. you don't need to lock your door. You do. You do? Um, I'm saying that, A, because of the story, and B, because I've experienced it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I may tell, yeah. I may tell my break-in story at some point, mm -hmm. but if you live in Maine, just lock your door. You can't always trust people. And again, it's a boundary issue. Keep boundaries. Keep your boundaries. Stand up for yourself. Don't let your neighbor bathe in your pool. You don't have to be that nice. <laughs> Speaking of Mainisms. Yep, yep. So. What do you got for me today? Hey, hey, it's a mainism. Tell me, what do you have for me today? Well, uh, for my mainism today, it's something that is 100% unique. And uh, this is not sponsored, but I'm talking about Mardens. Mardens! <laughs> <laughs> a very strange experience. I've been there two times now. I think this is cheating because I know, I think I know enough about Mardens. You can never know enough about Mardens. Perfect. <laughs> Tell me about Mardens. <laughs> Mardens is the most fascinating thing because salvage, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. It's salvage. And so a really great example is earlier this year, a, a toy store in North Carolina had a fire. And so Mardens got all of their kites. <laughs> <laughs> so we went and bought... 
Some $50 kites for $15. <laughs> All because they had smoke damage. They had, they minor. didn't, the kite did not have smoke damage, the packaging did. Ooh, we, okay. We picked up a Crosley record player, which is normally, I want to say, close to $50. We got it for $20. So, and when we were, when we were there looking at the record players, they also had mini fridges and they had Roombas and they had so much stuff and they've got clothes. I, I am a freelance costume designer. I have picked up a $99 jacket for a dollar at Martin's. (laughs) It is a treasure trove of just random clothes. It has a bit of everything though. It's amazing. Like... They must have a huge net for all their salvage. It's nuts. Yes. It's also, they also have fabric. They have furniture. They have anything. They have great whoopie pies. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's weird. They have excellent whoopie pies. Smoke damaged whoopie pies. No, they just sell the whoopie pies. Oh, okay. Point blank. Uh, we've gotten Sephora stuff, like Sephora overstock. Mm-hmm. So back when Kat Von D was actually accepted we got some Kat Von D eyeshadow for like five dollars <laughs> it's amazing there's a huge smile on my face I used to hate Martins but now that I'm an adult and I need things like as a like kid you're, you're, it's very boring yeah you're like what is all this stuff it's dirty why does the flora look brown <laughs> it is literally the grossest warehouse it is the it the is <laughs> it's like if you go to a unwashed Walmart <laughs> <laughs> From the 90s. <laughs> and there, Martins has a few locations. I primarily shop at the one in Scarborough. But their commercial is, I should have bought it when I saw it at Martins. And it's totally true because if you find something, you're like, I'll think about it. It will not be there when it you go back. It will not be there. It's, it will be bought by somebody else. Even if you go the next day, yeah. it will not be there. That's true. They'll I have a whole you, other section. It yesterday, will not be there. Yesterday you were looking at mattress. Today, there's like 50,000 kites in here. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's if you think that you need something kind of off the wall just go give it a look again not sponsored in any way not at all but uh, i just fucking love martin's <laughs> but martin uh, who owns martin's i don't know i think it was paul page's wife i th- actually maybe <laughs> uh but it's and also if you if you are a mana you know the martin's lady <laughs> Yeah. I don't know if you've... Have you ever seen a commercial for Martin's? I have seen okay, a commercial. Okay, so yeah. So the Martin's Lady. It is quintessential Maine. Mm-hmm. It is. And I am not 100% sure if there is anything quite like it anywhere else. I'd say as far as like spokespersons from what I saw in the video I, I witnessed, I'd say she's got the same level of energy as the bald guy that promotes Six Flags. Oh, yeah, she totally, (laughs) yes. That's very on par with each other. You are absolutely correct. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again for joining us for Homegrown Horror this week, and we hope to see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. My sources for today were Limington.net, CurrentObituary.com, The Daily Mail, The Bangor Daily News, Portland Press Herald, CaseText.com, and Boston.com.
you can reach out to us on our Twitter at HGHpod or on our Instagram at Homegrown Horror Pod. We hope to see you again soon.